0: This is East Carolina Offensive Coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick. We are talking one of my favorite things, Pirate football, on
1: the Sports Objective, the official, unofficial podcast of the Pirates.
0: Where it is a first down. Pirates.
2: Welcome in to the Sports Objective right here on, as we're getting ready, I guess it's Christmas Eve Eve. With us right now is Kyle Barber. How are you doing?
1: What's going on, Dave, man? Yeah, Christmas Eve Eve, or as uh, they call it, Festivus, for the rest of us. It's it's sitting here in the house uh, with with the smell of fresh baked goods in the air. So It's a lovely night as we see here in the holiday season.
2: No doubt about it. Bubba Rosebaum is producing. We'll be with us in just a second. Uh, with us right now, uh, g- great to have, uh, i tell you what, very excited about the bowl game. And with us right now to talk about Boston College, Tyler Calvaruso. how are you doing, man?
3: Doing well, guys. Appreciate you having me on. No doubt,
1: no doubt about, about
0: it.
1: it. <laughs> uh, we'll have well, a top of At the top of the show before we even get into it uh, with breaking news. Okay. Um, so uh, as, we, as we sit here tonight, Pirate Nation, uh, not any details can be given. But we have have COVID outs. Um, Don't know how many, uh, but it sounds like it's multiple. Uh, Do not have any names, but it is confirmed. We do have COVID outs. Uh, When we have more information um, to make available, we'll make it available. Um, But uh, there are reportedly players that have tested positive for COVID, and uh, we'll have more information as soon as it's available. All right, Thank you, Kyle, for that.
2: Appreciate that. Tyler, uh, how are you guys as far as the COVID front? I can't believe we're still talking. We were talking in the green room about that. believe we're still talking about COVID in a bowl game in December of 2021.
3: It's surreal, man, but the good news is on BC's. And as of this very moment, it could obviously change with how fluid this Omicron variant is. BC's good to go. No COVID cases. As far as I know, teams hundred percent vaxxed. So as things stand, Good place for B.C. right now on the COVID front.
2: No doubt about it. Good to hear that we're going to still play the bowl game as, of course, uh, Texas A&M opting out or they can't play with Wake having to play Rutgers now. Very strange for the Gator Bowl.
1: Um, You know, Dave, there's some rumors out there that that, uh, Texas A&M could have played that game, but with a combination of a few COVID outs. Their starting quarterback, uh, I think, is entering the transfer portal and several linemen um, opting out. That they decided not to play, uh, but they could have. They could have played. That that's the rumor. Uh, who knows how much truth there is to so that? Well,
2: I mean, it's good for Rutgers, I guess. But uh, and I, I'm sure that I just, I if that's true, uh, I really, I don't like that at all. But uh, anyway, uh, Tyler, we'll talk about football here. Obviously, you're with EagleInsider.com. You cover the, and let's go ahead and give you a shout out. You cover Boston College. You have. You told me Seton Hall, you, you're on uh, with USA Today in New Jersey, obviously, and you're covering the – God help you, you're covering the Jets too. So <laughs> I hope that you're getting paid like double or triple like combat pay for uh, covering the Jets.
3: Yeah, I'm doing all right for myself, man. Like I told you in the groom room, whatever pays the bills, you got to do what you got to do.
2: That's right. That's right. And uh, that's what we do, right, Cal?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and right now what we're doing is looking ahead to, to the uh, military ball. It's coming on Monday, uh, the 27th of December, as far as take on Boston College. Uh, uh, Tyler, you mentioned you're, you're good in terms of COVID uh, as we sit here today, uh, okay. but you guys do have some opt-outs. Talk about that.
3: So right now it's just rumored opt-outs. BC hasn't really confirmed anything on its end, but it looks like right now they're going to be a little bit shorthanded on the offensive line. Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, Ben Petrula, and possibly Tyler Vrabel the son of Titans head coach, Mike Vrabel. So that's all rumors right now, like I said, and BC has not really commented on it. But, you know, Vrabel has been banged up all season, so it would be reasonable if BC wanted to give him a game off just to really get his health right heading into the offseason. Johnson, Lindstrom, and Patrul are heading to the NFL. So if they decide to opt out, you know, obviously they're doing what they have to do to protect themselves. I'm not sure Lindstrom even made the trip with the team. Unfortunately, uh, yesterday his mother passed away with a long, after a long battle of cancer. So I'm not anticipating that he plays. I'm not even sure he made the trip. So the Olan line would be where they're shorthanded and defensively, they're going to be without one of their starting defensive ends. Shida Sila. He recently underwent upper body surgery. He's in the middle of the rehab process. He's done for the season. And Brandon Sebastian, at cornerback, he's off to the NFL at the end of the season. His status for the military bowl is also up in the air. So, again, nothing really confirmed by BC as of yet, but that's what the rumor mill is saying right now.
1: And, and if the rumors are true, uh, how are the backups? How, how much time did they get to play this year on the O-line? You know, that's one position group. You don't rotate in and out a lot. Boston College wasn't in a position where they pulled out a lot of where they had a lot of blowouts and wasn't in a position where they got blown out a lot. So, so how how much playing time did the backups on the O line see?
3: So not a lot. A couple of guys got to play due to injury during the season. Jack Conley he started a couple games in place of Vrabel when Vrabel was out. Ozzie Trapilo, a redshirt freshman, he's a big part of BC's future plans for the O line. He started two games at guard when Christian Mahogany was down for a game. So it's a young group that would step in in the event of opt-outs, but it's a group that the staff is extremely high on, and it honestly might not be the worst thing in the world to get them some extended reps heading into the offseason to get a really good look at these guys on tape, see what they could do, work out any of the kinks ahead of spring ball.
0: Other
1: side of the ball, I almost going to ask about the, the other side of the ball on the defensive line um you guys uh, you mentioned defensive end upper body surgery good pass rusher um you guys i see you guys meaning boston college uh you, you, your pass defense statistically is very good uh, but you the, the the eagles give up some yards on the ground uh talk about the the, the front seven for bc and uh the, the the at times trouble stopping the run and particularly i think you guys have some trouble with mobile quarterbacks
3: yeah, I always tell people when they look at uh, BC's numbers against the pass to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's not that BC secondary isn't good. You know, they've had a great season. They've taken a major step forward this season, but teams are r- going run heavy against them because of their issues struggling to stop the run. You had Sean Tucker run for over two hundred yards. They've had they've had all sorts of issues defending the run this season. They just haven't really generated a ton of push up front. Their linebackers have gotten better as the season has gone on, that do mainly because Cam Arnold, their leading tackler on the season, he was a safety as a true freshman last season. He moved down to linebacker during the offseason, beefed up, and he pretty much had to learn the position on the fly. They didn't have Isaiah Graham Mobley, their veteran grad, transfer from Temple for parts of the season due to injury. So you had true freshman Bryce Steele forced in the duty. He came on strong at the end of the season, and BC's high on him. But he's still a young guy trying to figure things out. So when you couple that inexperience and just the overall lack of push by the defensive line throughout the season, that's what BC struggles against the run have come down to.
2: Tyler, with uh, uh, by the way, folks, Well, I'll ask my question in just a second. You're, you're watching and listening to the Sports Objective, and those watching and listening live, you can chime in on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And with us right now from Facebook, Craig has a question for you, Tyler, and he wants to know, what is the overall feeling of Boston College fan base about the game and the matchup?
3: So I think at first, you know, it was kind of like, oh, we're playing a team from the AAC. But then you saw the fans kind of do a deep dive into what ECU really is. And come to the realization, this is a pretty dang good football team. You know, there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. You just quarterback, running back, defensive backs. So ECU has it. They're a lot better than their 7-5 and five record indicates, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You guys could tell me if I am. But yeah, I think the fan base has gotten more gradually excited about this matchup as the weeks have gone on. And the big thing for this fan base, the one thing they were very excited about right out of the gate is that BC was going down to Annapolis to play this game. Nobody really wanted any part of the Fenway Bowl, which, you know, from the outside looking in, might sound kind of crazy because, you know, local game, easy to get to. People just want to change the scenery. They want to go somewhere nice for bowl season. They didn't want to be stuck at Fenway Park sitting in the Green Monster watching BC play. Who knows? Who's playing that game? SMU, is it? I believe yeah, it's.
1: SMU it. in Virginia.
3: Yeah. So that, yeah. Just, people were happy about that, that BC was getting out of Massachusetts for his bowl game. So excitement right off the bat on that front. And then as the fans have learned more about ECU, even more excitement about the matchup.
2: What do you think, Kyle? Do you think we would be happy if we were staying home playing in the barbecue bowl?
1: Well, the barbecue bowl doesn't exist, and it never will. Oh, yeah. That was I a lame. A lame brain idea about someone. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't – you know, I, I – we, we almost stayed even closer to home. You know, there's a lot of talks of going to the Myrtle Beach Bowl for a potential matchup with Coastal Carolina, and Coastal didn't want to stay home either. So, uh, I, I don't know. That, that, that's uh, – kids want to get away. Fan bases want to get away. Totally understandable. BC not wanting to stay at Fenway. And uh, as far as the, the matchup with um, not being excited about playing an American conference team – I just think that's the the perception. Power Five schools, and I hate that term, have when they when they look at a at a at a so called group of five team, and it's BS. I mean, Cincinnati's playing Alabama in the playoffs. They're in the same conference we are. Uh, any Boston College fans who aren't familiar with East Carolina, check our record historically against the ACC. Ask NC State. Ask UNC. Ask Virginia Tech um, about playing East Carolina. I know we've been we, we've been crappy the last seven years, but. Even during that time, we've beaten NC State and UNC. So um, we have a history of beating ACC schools. Um, we used to have a history back when the Big East existed of beating Big East schools back in Syracuse, West Virginia, et cetera. So uh, nothing we'd like more than that another ACC uh, victory to the, uh, to the uh, notch on our gun there. So, uh, it's, you know, I, I just think that's such a misperception that that um, ACC, SEC, Power Five, I use that term, used loosely, schools have about group of five schools because uh, some group of five schools are hit you in the mouth.
3: Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, Jaquan McMillan, he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the country. So the talent's obviously there. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of that perception issue either. It's just one of those things that it's so entrenched in college football fans, P5 versus
1: G5. Yeah. yeah the, the, narrative, the narrative is pushed so much. Can you turn that alarm off, please? The narrative is pushed so much by, uh, by ESPN and ESPN yeah. dictates so much college football, and and when you hear that term constantly and it's shoved down your throat, it's hard not to have that that mindset.
3: Yeah, it's definitely understandable. Uh, like I told you, I'm not a fan of it. Talent's talent; doesn't matter what level you play at. You know, ECU has it. So,
2: yeah, just like with the AD from Miami, Dan as a Rakitic. He, uh, being an ACC guy, I'm just disappointed with him when he was on full ride with Chris Childers and, and basically the thing that drives me crazy, and we'll get back to the bowl game in just a second, but the very fact is Boston College has a rich tradition of football. East Carolina has a rich tradition of football. And the AAC, I think uh, there's a team in the college football playoff. Um, so this whole perception of there's so much disparity between Power Five and Group of Five, the reality is there's a lot of, like we were talking about, there's a lot of bad Power 5 teams yeah. um, that East Carolina could beat. Um, you know, so um, I, I don't think it has anything. I think it's silly with the whole argument with between the two. They're all Division I schools. We're still doing the same thing. And another thing is um, I would love to see uh, guys in national legislation. We're going to have to do that. It's so insane right now. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that will make –
1: Yeah, that's an an interesting question. Uh, You bring up NIL, and I know we're supposed to be talking about the ballgame, Tyler, and we'll get back to that, but how is NIL affecting Boston College? I mean, Boston is a a huge media market, a lot of business opportunities. So I I can see where NIL could be beneficial to Boston College, but at the same time, I don't know how many people in Boston Boston College, how many people in the Boston area, you know, how much of the sports world in Boston does Boston College have, you know, carry? I mean, obviously – you got the Patriots, you got the Red Sox, you got the, the Celtics, Bruins. the Bruins. So how much how much interest is there um, in signing NIL deals with, with players at BC? Have, have, you, have you heard much about that?
3: Yeah, you know, you paint a pretty accurate picture when it comes to uh, interest in the program. Just because Boston being such a pro sports market, you know, and BC has to be really, really good to attract the amount of attention that it would like to attract. Now, the program definitely has more eyes on it with Jeff Halfley taking over. There's definitely been a renewed interest. The end of the Steve Dazio era, people were just resigned to the fact that the program was mediocre and there wasn't a ton of buzz, there wasn't much interest. And BC really took a backseat to everything at that point. But Halfley has breathed some life back into the program and more eyes are back on it as a result. Now, in terms of NIL, to answer your question about that, there's definitely been some players who have taken advantage of it, You know, obviously being the market that it is there are opportunities. There are alumni that can present players and opportunities to make some money for themselves and, you know, take advantage of their brand. Some guys have done that. You know, maybe not as many as the SEC programs and Big Ten, you know, all the all the juggernauts of the sport. But, yeah, there's definitely been a place for it at BC.
2: Hey, guys, by the way, if you want to comment tonight, a question or comment for Tyler or just a comment about the show as yes, we go. In fact, uh, a guy that Kyle knows very well, Bill James has a comment, Kyle. He says, "Me and Kyle would tear up the barbecue bowl, a barbecue bowl." Uh, so there you go. And let's see. Robert says, "I think Pirate fans feel the same way." He's talking about uh, we were talking about how do the uh, how do Boston College fans feel about the matchup, and he says they people are getting more excited to play a new opponent, and that's what I think a lot of Pirate fans yeah, are. And I think
1: it was a handful. I don't think it was a handful of East Carolina fans that were that were. Um, looking forward to or hoping to play somebody more regional that we have history with, like a Virginia Tech, a UVA, or maybe even a UNC. And um, I think some people were disappointed when that didn't happen. I think it was a small True. number of people. because Boston College is still an ACC school. It still carries the cachet of being a quote-unquote Power 5 school. And uh, I personally like it. I I, I well, like playing well, somebody well, new. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah there, there, he, he's right though. There was a group of fans that Kinda, You had kind of had to give them excited for this game because they were expecting something else.
2: Well, for me personally, it was a very fact that we're playing a bowl game, right, Kyle? I mean, the new opponent, Boston College, uh, I, I was 11 years old when Flutie makes that pass with the Hail Mary, you know. So there's a lot of rich tradition with Boston College, like I was saying earlier. And for me, I was happy with the fact, A, we're playing in a bowl, but the fact you're playing a team that has – a rich tradition of football uh, that makes, and we've never played them before. Uh, like you said, Kyle is a, uh, is a big plus for me.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Tyler, who are some of the weapons on offense we should be looking out for from BC? Obviously, Jakovic, the quarterback, uh, if he's healthy, uh, he's a game changer. Uh, if you watch BC play without him this year, or you watched him play the last couple of games. He was still struggling with that, with a hand injury. You know, he's an NFL quality quarterback. Everybody projects him to play at the next level. So, you know, if he's healthy, he's a weapon. Who are some of the other weapons on offense that the Pirates need to be looking out for?
3: So it all starts with all-ACC wide receiver. He's one of those guys, you get him the ball in space and you let him work. He's just the definition of dynamic. His production definitely tailed off a bit this season as soon as Dracovic got hurt, which, you know, was natural. But BC's quarterback play without Djokovic was extremely underwhelming considering what he was expecting. So Flowers is a guy split out wide. All eyes are going to be on him at all times. He's just one of those dudes you get him the ball and good things are going to happen more often than not out of the backfield. You got Pat Garwood, the third, he's one heck of a story. He entered fall camp fourth on the running back depth chart, not even close to cracking the two deep. He dominated throughout the fall, earned himself a starting spot by week two after he ran for 160 yards at UMass and, just became the 21st player in program history to rush for over a thousand yards in a season. So Garwo has provided BC with a running game that didn't have last season in the first year of the Jeff Halfley era. BC, you know, kind of transitioned to more of a pass heavy offense last year because of its lack of ability to run the football. And Garwo brought this back, brought that back this year. So definitely a welcome development for BC's offensive game planning. And those two are definitely the ones to keep an eye on in terms of skill position weapons.
2: What about yeah, sports, the defensive side of the ball? Uh, Tyler, what What about that?
3: So, Josh DeBerry in the secondary is probably the biggest name to keep an eye on. Second team all ACC this season. Moved from the outside inside to play the nickel and developed into Boston College's best defensive player and probably one of the top five overall players on the roster. He had that good of a year. He was awesome in coverage. And he was even better down around the line of scrimmage and run support, which isn't really something you'd expect out of him. Considering he's not really the biggest guy in the world, I believe he's on like five ten, five eleven, one eighty. I mean, he, he bangs in run support, man. He gets he gets his nose dirty. So he had a big year for BC. He's kind of the heart of their defense at this point. Brandon Sebastian, if he plays, a guy who's going to be off to the NFL at the end of this year, he's another guy in the secondary to keep an eye on quietly. Really strong year and covered four picks. BC did a nice job of developing him in over the last two seasons. Then up front with the linebackers, you have Cam Arnold. He got better as the year went on. I wouldn't necessarily say he had a season that he was expecting of himself. He was very high on what he was going to be able to do this season coming into the year. But he's a guy learning how to play the position. He's learning how to play linebacker. So, you know, there's going to be a curve and there's going to be some peaks and valleys on that journey. And he experienced plenty of them. So those three are probably the biggest keys for Boston College defensively. You know, honorable Mention All-ACC safety, Jaden Woodby is another one, and Marcus Valdez at defensive end. He's another guy, team leader in sacks with five, which is pretty big considering they only got 21 sacks in 12 games overall. Man. Valdez was responsible for a good chunk of those.
1: That's interesting that they're past defense, and you said to take it with a grain of salt earlier yeah. because people have been running the ball on them, uh, and that kind of tells the tell of that. When you have a good pass team you would expect that you're getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback and not very many sacks. So that's an interesting stat. Uh, what, what do you expect? Well, let's, let's break down special teams first. Uh, talk about BC special teams, kick returners, punters, kickers. Uh, how do they look on that side of the ball?
3: You know, special teams have definitely improved over the last two seasons, I would say. They finally have a reliable kicker and true freshman, kiner Litton. You know, kicker has been a pretty sensitive subject for BC fans for a long time there was an extended period of time where you just didn't know what you're going to get out of your kicker on a weekly basis. That's how bad things got on special teams under Steve Adazio when he was the head coach. But Litton has come in out of Virginia and really solidified the position. He missed one field goal all season after taking over for the injured Aaron Boomeri, who was a guy that BC's coaching staff really trusted to get the job done with his leg. So Litton has been, I don't want to say revelation because the staff kind of expected this of him when he was going to be able to take over but he's really solidified the position. And then in the return game, you have veteran running back Travis Levy. He heads up the kick return duties. BC's one of the best programs in the ACC this season in terms of yards per kick return, and Levy's been a big part of that. He's had some big returns. So special teams, definitely a strong suit, I would say, throughout the year. The second half of the season, things kind of went south temporarily, but they got back on track by the end of the year. BC likes where it's at special teams-wise right now.
1: What do you expect out of this game? You know, I know – Everybody has different expectations. A lot of people are are predicting a close game, um, and it makes sense logically when you look at these two teams to expect a low, a, a close game. Um, some people are expecting a low score, and I don't even know what the over/under is. Perhaps you do. Uh, I, I don't really expect it to be that low scoring. And for some reason, That's is this, is and
0: this half fifty-one and a half.
1: Oh, Bubba's here. If for, <laughs> and for some reason, for some reason. Tyler, this is just a hunch on my part, and I don't know why this is. And I'm going to say it now publicly, and I don't know which way this is going to go. I got a feeling somebody's going to blow somebody out. I don't know if we're blowing out Boston College or Boston College is blowing out us. I just got a hunch it's not going to be a close game.
3: See, I, I, I could see that. You know, just I feel like that tends to happen in bowl games from time to time. One team just really comes out of the gates on fire and puts the other team away early. I'm not going to roll with that as my prediction just because just I see so many, I don't want to say similarities between the two teams, but I see how their strengths play and I see how that can lead to a close game. So I, I think this is going to be a really competitive matchup to be completely honest. Like I said before, you know, I've done this deep dive into East Carolina and you see some of the guys they have. It's like, this is an impressive football team. You know? This is a team that can give Boston College a real run for its money. So I'm anticipating a close game. Would it shock me if someone got blown out. No, just just because of the nature of bowl season, I feel now teams just sometimes tend to come out, really put their foot down on their opponent and just roll over.
1: Yeah, logically it makes sense that it should be a close game, and and uh, I think the teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, I, I just that's just a hunch. That's not based on anything factual. That's just just the feeling I have. Um, so you know, sometimes when my hunches are right, sometimes they're wrong. But logically, you're right. It should be a very competitive game. That's in competitive fact, <laughs> I think if you look at it on paper, uh, I think it could be one of the more competitive games of the bowl season just just based on what you see on paper. Yeah,
3: because, I, I mean, like we, we've talked about BC's run defense and its issues against the run, and there's Keaton Mitchell right there waiting to take advantage yeah. of that. So, you know, like, the strengths and the weaknesses, that kind of play hand-in-hand in, hand in terms of what BC is good at and what ECU is good at, so – I think all of that leads to the makings of a competitive matchup. At least that's what I'm hoping. You know, obviously, you want to cover a good game as a journalist, so.
2: Yeah. I'm this now, Elliot Jameson chiming in on uh, YouTube tonight. He says, ECU by 21, mark my words. In fact, he <laughs> said. <laughs> good, he's yeah. seeing
1: a blowout, and,
2: and he knows which <laughs> team he thinks is going to win, so i hope He says EC will pull away in the fourth quarter, 21-point uh, win.
3: See, so the one there thing I'll go. say about that is if ECU does wind up pulling away, my bet would be it happening in the third quarter. Third quarter has been a quarter that's kind of given Boston College some problems this season. NC State, I think, racked up 21 unanswered in the third after leading 14-7 right. to seven at halftime and rolled away with that game. So I think if that's going to happen where ECU does pull away and win by that margin, it'd probably be in the third.
1: Do you think that's from lack of halftime adjustments? Uh Or what do you think that is? Typically, if you have a quarter that you play bad in, you can kind of point to something. Fourth quarter, it's typically conditioning. Um, First half, it, it can be teams just coming out flat a lot. What do you think it is about the third quarter?
3: In the instances that it's happened, I would say really just a couple of plays making the difference. You know, BC giving up some chunk plays that allowed teams to pick up that momentum coming out of halftime and getting going in the right direction and putting things away, you know. Couple of plays at all takes a turn, tide of a football game. You guys know that, and that's yeah. really what got BC in the third quarters this year. Nothing more. It's really wasn't a lack of adjustments. Nothing really schematic. Just two or three plays here and there, just really breaking BC's back.
1: And sometimes a thing comes in a thing when it's not a thing. In other words, you have that happen once or twice, and it's just coincidental. Then it gets in your damn head. We can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. Then inevitably, you let that happen.
3: Yep, exactly.
1: Robert's
2: chiming in tonight, guys, on YouTube saying, ECU has a tendency to move the ball well in between the 20s but could get challenged in the red zone by BC's defense. Look for Dafford to have a big game.
3: See, that's an interesting point because BC's defense, its strength, one of its strengths, I would say, is playing in the red zone because Jeff Hathaway and defensive coordinator, Tim Luka, they place such an emphasis on yards don't matter. What matters at the end of the day is points. You go up all these yards all you want, but, you know, if you bend and you don't break in the red zone, you hold teams to field goals, you're going to give yourself a chance to win more often than not. So, yeah, that's a realistic thing that could definitely happen in this game.
1: That's an interesting point, and uh, that, that is a problem that we had this year at times. Uh, the Memphis game was a game that we dominated, just absolutely dominated and ended up having to win in overtime because of struggles in the red zone. I thank God our kicker Owen Daffer made all his field goals. Yeah. And uh, Owen's was a weapon for us. And, you know, as we're playing in Annapolis, he had a game-winner, a 54-yarder, to beat the midshipman earlier this year. So uh, that, that is an interesting point, uh, our struggles in the red zone and BC playing good red zone defense. Uh, does, does BC play? Is their style? I haven't watched a ton of BC football this year. I watched them some early. Uh, do, do they tend to play off the ball or do they tend to zone it up or do they play much man coverage?
3: It's, it's probably an even amount of both, I would say, as the season went on. Probably more zone earlier in the year, but then they, Halfley wants to run man. That, that's what he wants to do. But they'll mix and match as they see fit. You know, when you're running a nickel base out there in their are four you're going to see a good amount of zone. So I, I'd right. be for a 50-50 split.
1: Okay. I give up big plays it's kind of what I was alluding to.
3: yeah they're, they're, they're susceptible to that at times just, just breakdowns just happening and
0: you know Go and one of the things that um, that's something that I was gonna hit on I do not know if you would already mentioned it, and that you brought up the name Tyler Keaton Mitchell and uh, talking to some other pirates uh, in the last few days. They had mentioned um, BC's run defense, and obviously, much has been made of uh, some of the, the past defense stats and where where they rank nationally and uh, top in the ACC. Donnie Kirkpatrick, East Carolina's offensive coordinator, mentioned that. But do uh, you think that's kind of a it's a combination of um, teams not having to throw as much, as well as BC being very good pass defense?
3: Yeah, that de- definitely a combination. Because I mean, when you have a secondary that's as good as BC turned out to be by season's end, there's really no need to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game. If you could just run it well on them and rack up over 200 yards as a team on the ground. So as the year went on, BC started to, they started to see teams do more of that against them, just turn more to the run. And like I said, was the secondary good this season? Yes, a hundred percent. You know, I'm not trying to discredit them at all. A lot of those guys really stepped up to the plate and had some of their best collegiate seasons to date, but You know, you have to really look at those numbers and take into account that some teams just ground and pound at the end of the season.
2: No doubt about it. Go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say the very fact, that's what Mike Houston wants to do. He wants to run the ball, as we've talked about many, many times. Tyler played great defense, and you look at both these teams, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense for both teams to establish the run. That clock is going to be running. It's such an evenly matched game. Uh, that you want that clock running, right, guys? I mean, you you don't want to throw it around the yard. If you do 100 plays 70 times and 30 times a run, you would think it would be uh, real heavy on the run on Monday.
3: Yeah, and, you know, BC it goes on their side as well. They want to establish the run too. You know, that, that was a welcomed addition to their offense this season that they didn't have. So I, th- I think you're going to see a lot of the running of the football on both sides. I think you're going to see – both teams try to set the tone in the trenches, dominate up front, and really get some chunk runs out of their running backs.
0: Now, Tyler, looking at that, I was glancing over the Wake Forest box score. Now, that day was was there an extreme wind or something? I, I was just, you know, as you look at it, uh, you know, Wake Forest ran the ball 54 times and um, just 3.3 yards to carry. And then B.C., Uh, had just 198, excuse me, let's see, 182 total yards and 163 of that was on the ground, just three out of 12 with two interceptions and 19 total yards through the air.
3: Yeah, there was a wind issue that day. It didn't really impact Sam Hartman all that adversely, but it was probably the worst possible situation for Dracovic to be playing. And just given that his grip strength wasn't where he wanted it to be where it needed to be to succeed in that kind of an environment. He, he just didn't really have a handle on the ball throughout the game. And BC had to turn run heavy really early. It quickly became apparent that it was going to be a tough game for them to win in that kind of environment, which are Kovic dealing what he was dealing with.
0: And Tyler, i sorry, Dave. Um, uh, Richard Osbrook chimes in on Facebook saying, I know there has been, especially along the offensive line, but if you would, Tell us exactly where Boston College stands in terms of players opting out.
3: Yeah, no problem. Just to recap what's going on in the opt-out side of things for BC right now. Nothing confirmed on BC. We
1: in at the BC. beginning of the show for all this.
3: Yeah. So, nothing confirmed, but some possible players on the offensive line not playing in Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, Ben Petrula, And Tyler Vrabel, and then defensively, Shuda Sula is already out after undergoing surgery on an upper body injury. And cornerback Brandon Sebastian might not play since he'll be off to the NFL. So again, nothing confirmed on BC's end yet. You probably won't hear anything until the hours leading up to the game. Just knowing how BC does things, but those are the rumors floating around right now in terms of players who won't be playing. Sula, 100% out. He underwent surgery. He's done. But the rest, uncertain right now.
1: Well, you did say oh, one yeah. of your opponents as a potential opt-out didn't travel because of death in the family, correct?
3: Yeah, Alec Lindstrom, yeah, the center.
1: So that, Tyler, that's I'll one of be- go ahead there. Uh, Tyler,
2: obviously being with EagleInsider.com last week being signing uh, – with the signing class – early signing period, uh, can you talk a little bit about BC and what they're getting and obviously how, how is Coach Athlete – how is he doing – recruiting because one of the things we heard is we were talking earlier in the show that BC fans did not want to play in the Fenway Bowl and the coaches obviously love the DC area, the DMV, if you will, for recruiting. So can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, BC hits the DMV area hard. He has a defensive backs coach, Azar Rahim, He was the head coach at Friendship Collegiate Academy for, I believe, a decade, coached at Maryland for a while, and he's just so tied in in that area. So, BC's happy to be playing a game down there. You know, get some more eyes in the area on the program. It's an area they're going to recruit as long as this current staff is in place and they're going to recruit it hard. Yeah, I saw someone just mention in the comments about uh, in terms of ranking. Right now, 36th on 24-7 sports, 5th in the ACC, which is, if things stand as they are right now, will be Boston College's best recruiting class of the modern era since 24-7 started collecting data. So, BC, the key to that making that happen this cycle, which is BC continuing to expand its national footprint and find program fits in places, you know, they typically weren't recruiting before the new staff came in the new, the previous regime took more kind of a regional approach to recruiting, which is, you know, understandable, but they need an attempt to win some bigger battles at national powerhouses. They got a four-star safety Sione Hala from St. John Bosco in California. How many kids is BC Atlanta from that program? Traditionally not many. That just speaks to the effort of this staff and the way they've been able to really win over high school coaches, win over recruits at their vision for the future, and just be able to sell kids on what they're building on the Heights.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, to, to Richard earlier, I was just messing with you, brother. Before free to ask anything, uh, anything you want, we suspect you always being a loyal viewer and listener. Uh, that's impressive that BC put together that kind of recruiting class. You do not think of Boston College uh, putting together, you know, uh, by some publications, top 25 classes, by, by 24-7 a top 40 class. Um, if, if that continues, you know, BC ha- had the success under O'Brien playing for um, – and under uh, Jack uh playing for ACC titles when Matt Ryan was there. But uh, you, you could – if Boston College put together many more recruiting classes like that, transfer portal pending, they uh, they could be back to that point in a few years where they're contending for an ACC title.
3: Yeah, and the portal pending is just obviously such a big caveat now that you didn't have to really worry about five years ago. You know, obviously, transfers are always a part of college football, but the portal wasn't really a thing. Now the portal has opened up a whole new world of possibilities in the sport. So it's not even just about recruiting these guys out of high school anymore. It's about keeping them around once they do get to campus. And that, yeah, that's a new element that coaches around the nation are trying to figure out, and BC is no exception to that. The good news in terms of BC keeping players within their program is the fact that there is a lot of available playing time for the younger guys, just because the new staff inherited a bunch of players who weren't really scheme fits for what they were looking for. And now they're getting their guys in there, guys who are fits in both the offensive and defensive systems. So you're going to see more and more young guys factoring into the equation next, starting next season and the year after that. So, A lot of these young guys are going to be getting a lot of playing time, and that should bode well for BC's chances of keeping people in the program, not having them hit the portal.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned earlier um, fans being excited to get out of Boston, team be excited about getting out of Boston, not having to play in the Fenway Bar, in the Fenway Bar, in the Fenway Bowl. How many uh, many fans do you guys expect to travel down to Annapolis? Uh, Do you know how many tickets the university has sold directly? Uh, from uh, from the bowl, and uh, what's the rubber number?
3: I'm not really sure about ticket allotment. That's something BC hasn't really put out there for public consumption, or even behind closed doors. But I'd expect a decent contingent to make its way down there. You know, there there are some fans in the area for sure that are definitely going to get out and watch this game. Some never really get to see BC play, so this is this is an exciting time for them. But yeah, obviously, obviously, I'm anticipating more ECU fans than BC fans, but. I'm expecting a decent B.C. contingent. I think it might be probably might be more than I'm anticipating, to be completely honest.
1: Uh, in general, as, as we talk about opt-outs and, and et cetera for bowl games, j- just from a, from a sports fan or a journalist's perspective, uh, how do you anticipate college football saving bowl games? Uh, I think it's, e- even if you expand the playoffs to 12, you're still going to have bowl games. Yeah. Um how do you how do we how do we save bowl games? I, I have some ideas on ways you can do it. I think NIL could be involved in that. You sign these NIL deals, uh, it means you as a senior, you gotta play all the way through, including the bowl game, things like that. Um, you know, I I, I think that's gonna be about the only thing that's gonna do it. Yeah, I'm on
3: board with you with that. I mean, NIL is really the only thing that comes to mind that could really save the quote-unquote less meaning for bowl games. You no, know, everyone talks about expanding the playoffs to make the playoffs more interesting and the end of the regular season to give those games more meaning, but no one really talks about the fact that these lower, if you want to call them lower, ball games, you know, they don't really mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things to other than anyone in the team's playing in them. I'm not really sure how you save them other than NIL, just because... You're gonna have guys opting out because they want to protect their futures, and understandably so. So unless there's some sort of incentive for that not to happen to de- to decrease opt-outs, I'm really not sure what you can do with the lower games.
1: What about? Yeah, having- I, I would I would propose this in terms of you know we're already playing NIL thing, and we're art players are already allowed to sign NIL deals. Why not? You know they give bowl swag. Why not if you play in the bowl game? Uh, you get a couple thousand dollars to play in the bowl, uh, each player, or at least the seniors. Uh, I think that would incentivize some guys to play. I think
3: that's feasible. I think that's something that's definitely doable as well. I mean, I don't see why you can't create some sort of incentive for players to play in the games. Now there are always going to be guys who have more of an eye on their professional future and just don't want to partake in the games, which like I said, is understandable, but you incentivize some of these guys to play. Maybe you really do see the opt-outs drop. That's probably something they're going to have to consider with some of these lower games for sure.
2: Yeah. And, and, Bubba, I know we have some comments and questions tonight, uh, people watching on YouTube and Facebook and obviously Twitter. And uh, uh, Pace is asking, how much does Boston College use the success of some of their NFL players in attracting recruits?
3: So what I would say to that is right now – it's definitely, it's definitely a big part of BC's recruiting pitch. Just based on the offensively, you know, they run more of a pro-style offense. So BC is able to pitch offensive recruits on. You come play in this system, you're going to be ready for the next level. There's not going to be that much of a learning curve when you get there. As you know, some more power spread teams around the nation, some of their guys aren't really pro-ready when they get there. So that's a major selling point for BC off when it comes to recruiting offensively. Now, defensively, it's interesting because – You'd think that they'd be able to sell, you know, the Harold Landry's and the Zach Allen's, them making it to the next level from the defensive line. But this staff doesn't really have anything to do with those guys. They didn't produce them, they didn't develop them. So, and they still managed to be able to recruit good defensive linemen. So they've been able to get it done with selling the guys they have in the pros. And the big thing I would say defensively with recruiting is Jeff Halfley's reputation as a defensive backs guru and getting guys to the NFL and his experience working in the NFL. I couldn't tell you guys how many defensive back recruits I've talked to who have specifically cited his influence on DBs as a major reason why they're interested in BC or why they picked BC. So BC is able to kind of, you know, They could throw some punches above their weight class in DB recruiting. They could get involved with some four-star guys. And a prime example of that would be their true freshman cornerback, C.J. Burton. He was a Florida commit, and they flipped him. You know That's not something that happens very often in Chestnut Hill. So Halfley's influence has been big on recruiting, especially when it comes to the DBs. But, yeah, being ready to play professionally in the NFL, major selling point for BC in recruiting always has been and probably always will be considering it doesn't really have you know some of the glitz and glamour that other programs can sell
2: no doubt in fact uh want to give a shout craig wants to give you a shout out tyler he says tyler's a great guest thank you for taking the time to hang out with us
3: appreciate that
2: all right so no doubt and uh here's another question that a lot of uh pirate fans want to know as well robert's asking what are the academic standards for athletes at bc
3: they're pretty high. They're not Stanford high, but they're up there. They don't just – let me put it like this. They don't just take anyone like some programs do. You know? That's really the best way to sum it up. There's a standard that they hold their guys to for sure, and they don't budge off that.
2: So it obviously makes – so it's not like – is it like a Duke that would also be in the <laughs> ACC? Is it that strict or do you think it's uh, a think little it's less strict. a little
3: bit more lenient than Duke. But it's up there for sure. It's not far off from Duke. Somewhere but between these, UVA and Duke. Do. JUCO guys. That, that's a prime example of the way they operate. Just you know.
1: Oh, you bring and, it. Up and anybody, great- anybody who joined us late, like a lot of people, uh, I think they have. I think our audience has grown during the show, which is a good thing. At the beginning of the show, guys. Breaking news uh, confirmed. Not names. Not how many, but there are COVID cases involving the East Carolina football team. There will be uh, at least one, if not multiple players, not participating. In the military ball, due to COVID, when we have more information, we will release it. Um, It may come from the university before we get it out, but uh, confirmed COVID outs for the military ball.
2: All right, so we'll uh, definitely definitely keep you abreast of that as we if we find out anything. Uh, One of the things that uh, we've been, our Elliot's asking about. Um, Tonight is, of course, how many tickets have been sold at East Carolina? Uh, How many have we sold?
1: 5,200 is the last I heard. Um, The the number was expected to go up this week, uh, and that's directly from ECU. A lot of people, because of antiquated ticketing methods with priority points, bought their tickets through the Military Bowl website and other outlets. So 5,200 through ECU, I think we're going to have 10,000 plus there. A lot of people, particularly in that Maryland, D.C. area, uh, bought their tickets through other places. And some people here did. I did. I bought mine through the military ball. So 5,200 through ECU, I would expect we're going to have 10,000 plus there.
2: I would totally agree. That's what we wanted on this show, Tyler. Uh, I know you haven't heard us uh, being that this first time you've been on the show, but that's our goal for East Carolina is to have 10,000. Uh, how many? I, I know with uh, BC, it's not that far of a drive. Thankfully for both teams, it's a, a decent drive and not a really really long drive, or not even a plane ride, if you will. How many tickets uh with you guys? are, are You expecting BC fans to have at in Annapolis? They already answered that,
1: Dave. They didn't. Re- Boston College hasn't released the information. They haven't released it. Okay.
3: Yeah. yeah, but BC, like I said, BC has a good amount of fans in the area. They have a they have a pretty sizable alumni base. So there'll be a, a decent size contingent, maybe not 10,000 like ECU. That's a pretty impressive number, but they'll be out there.
1: Yeah, I, I would, I would hope, you know, w- with alumni in the area, um, I, I don't know, I think it's five hours from me. I think it's what seven hours from Boston. Um, so I, I, I would hope you guys would have, I, I. this is just me guessing. I have no knowledge of this. I, I would, be shocked if, if BC didn't have five, seven thousand there or something like that.
3: That's actually if I had to put like a guess out there, that's actually the exact numbers I would say. So
0: yeah. and guys Elliot has another question saying is the military bowl tickets is that better than going through ECU? Um depending on what yeah, your
1: go ahead Bubba
0: depending on what and what your objective is, you know you know if you're Depending on where you rank within the Pirate Club, like Kyle was referencing a moment ago, then you can definitely get better seats by going through the Military Bowl. Uh, East Carolina was able to keep the first $250,000 of ticket revenue um, for those tickets purchased through ECU. I think that that has happened. So I think at this point it's just up to the individual preference as far as where you purchase. And uh, you, quite honestly, you're probably going to have better success going through the Military Bowl with and at least you would have it one time than going through East Carolina, depending on where you rank in the power club.
1: Yes, uh, that that was one of the reasons we uh, we purchased our tickets through the Military Bowl website because again, ECU is using a dated priority point system for tickets. But uh, at this point, the priority deadline's over, so uh, you know it, I, I guess you, you'd have access to whatever tickets ECU has left. You'd still probably have better ticketing office options through the Military Bowl. Because there's probably going to be better tickets available that wasn't scooped up during the priority deadline through the Military Bowl website.
0: And obviously the news had broke, uh, Dave, as far as Texas A&M having to uh, withdraw and opt out of the Gator Bowl against Wake Forest. And according to BPays, Hawaii has withdrawn from the Hawaii Bowl as result of COVID.
2: What we talked about earlier, um, Kyle mentioned about texas a and i A&M. I'm wondering how many guys, I'm wondering how many Teams are going to opt out because they don't want to play the opponent. They don't want to play the game. They don't think that's, they
1: can play the case with That's not the case with Hawaii. Hawaii, in fact, petitioned, p- petitioned the NCAA uh, as, a Mountain West member to, as a Mountain West member to replace the San Francisco Bowl, which was canceled by the city because of COVID. And that's how the new um, Frisco football classic was added that was played today between North Texas and Miami and Ohio. So Hawaii was very much looking forward to playing Memphis. So, uh, that's a legitimate 100% opt out by, by the rainbow warriors. Um, and, and the shame for the tigers, that game's played on uh Christmas Eve, which is tomorrow. So there's going to be no chance to find a replacement opponent for Memphis unless they move the game. Um, they should move the game. Yeah, I guess that's possible to push it back a week. I, I don't know what the plans are, but, uh, you got Memphis in Hawaii right now expecting to play a game tomorrow and Hawaii pulled out. So, uh, Strange times we're living in people. I really thought this crap was over, but, um, you know, and, and so many people got the vaccine. And so, you know, I don't want to get in a, in a whole big discussion, but it, it, you know, if you got the vaccine and, and, and the majority of the team has the vaccine, and I think most people do, how sick are you really getting? Well, I mean, how legitimate are these opt outs? What is the point? You, you got a damn sniffle and a cold, and may you know, I mean, good God. I mean, th- these are these are 18 to 22 year old athletes. They're not people in a nursing home. Um, I doubt seriously any of these kids are getting severely ill. I had COVID and I'm a big boy with health problems. And I made it through fairly well. It sucked big time, but I made it through, and I know a lot of people haven't. But but at this point w- with this Omicron variant, how sick are people actually getting that have had the vaccine? Um, I you know. I just don't know. I, that's a whole other discussion. But this is really frustrating to me to see this happen. I, um, and you wonder how many fans are going to hop out now. As COVID numbers keep going up, you know, we're expecting 10,000 ECU fans. We're expecting five to 7,000 BC fans. But people are going to start getting weary. People are going to start being scared, not wanting to be in crowds, as you keep hearing about these COVID cases. So I would, I would, I would tell people to proceed cautiously with a grain of, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, people are testing positive for COVID, but how sick are they getting? The people that have been vaccinated.
2: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a rough time. You know, obviously we're we're not saying COVID doesn't exist. What we're saying is there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic. Um, we're hearing people that we know personally, obviously, and uh, people right now that didn't get the vaccine who are bad off in the hospital. So. Um, you can understand that piece of things, but the people that have had been, like you said, Kyle, that have been vaccinated, uh, then certainly uh, we were talking in the Greenwood with Tyler before you guys came on about the very fact life goes on. Uh, we're not being insensitive about this, but at the same time, we all the guys on this podcast thought that by football season of 2020, we would be through all this mess and it's still going on Christmas time of 2021. Um, so we've got to find a way to live with COVID and not hurt our economy and not hurt all the things that we have. Uh, like, for example, if you have a game in Annapolis and you cancel the game, I'm not saying it's happening. It's not. But if if it, uh, you know, all of a sudden you say, hey, we're not going to have the game. Think about all that impacts. And I'm just saying that as a hypothetical, meaning that um, people that are making these decisions don't understand how it hurts. Uh, the local economy, it hurts the team. Think about all the, uh, for Hawaii, for example, the players and the coaches that spent hours, hours and hours and hours practicing, um, or Texas A&M who opts out.
1: Well, think about the uh, Memphis. And, Memphis is Memphis over too, there. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm sure they've enjoyed their trip to Hawaii. They still got a damn trip to Hawaii. And some might argue it's even better. They got to go to Hawaii, now they got to worry about playing a game. But uh, you know those guys were looking forward to playing that game. And Memphis is over there. And, uh, again, now it's too late. You're 24 hours away from the Hawaii Bowl. There's no time to find a Rutgers. You know, I'm sure Illinois would love to take their place, but Illinois can't get ready and play that game tomorrow. They can't get the team together and go fly to Hawaii with no preparation. So unless they're going to push that game back, again, there will be no Hawaii Bowl this year. And uh, I'll tell you who else isn't going to like that, ESPN, because now what are they going to show on Christmas Eve? Everybody's going to be watching a Christmas story. Nobody's
0: going (laughs) to turn it over to the Hawaii Bowl. Hey, no, Again, guys, well, it's all 24 hours a day. Obviously, within the last several hours, um, I guess news had broken officially today, but it was speculated yesterday, pretty strong speculation, that Rutgers would be the 5-17 and seven team due to APR that would replace Texas A&M against Wake Forest, It'd like uh, James and Richard chime in, um, and, you know, I guess what the Gator Bowl is next Friday. I and mean, so here we are a week out and just over a week out. Um, but they're, su- they're suggesting Memphis playing Wake Forest rather than Rutgers.
1: Oh, you know that. They've already good. accepted the damn invitation. What, what do you do now? I mean, uh, you, you can't really retract the invitation, can you? I mean, that, that's that's an interesting scenario. I would I would advise Memphis to stay on standby because there will probably be another opportunity. Uh, if, if they don't retract the invitation from Rutgers, that's that is a good suggestion. But uh, if they don't retract the invitation from Rutgers and uh, and, and put Memphis in that bowl game, um, I would tell Memphis to be on standby because uh, there'll probably be another opportunity that comes up somewhere. But uh, that that is a good suggestion. Problem is, guys, you've already had Rutgers accept the invitation, so I, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, so. Tyler, did you want to contribute any more to this? We've kind of completely jumped the chart and gone off subject.
3: No, I mean, I'm with you guys, man. You can't keep canceling stuff forever. You know, come gets to a point where we're gonna have to figure this thing out and how to just move forward with it.
1: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And I, I think you know, I think we were doing that as a country. I think you have a lot of people, you know, I think I think a positive COVID test scares people, and I think there's a lot of protocols put in place that probably need to be Looked at that, that maybe are antiquated now. I, I again, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. Uh, we, we do have, and maybe in Dave, maybe it's a good time to have Bream on. I don't know if if uh, if our good friend Dr. John Bream, I don't know what his situation is now with public comments from his employer, but if if possible, uh, maybe a good time to have Dr. John Bream on. Uh, if there's opportunity before the bowl game, I know with Christmas coming up, there's not a lot of time, but uh, it, it would probably be a good time if possible.
2: Uh, by the way, B pays has a comment. Uh how about this guy's let's see if you like see if I can do it. Yeah, let Memphis and Illinois play in Jacksonville the day before and do a double header.
1: Well, I mean that that's that's also a good idea. You know, Illinois has made it very clear they want to play in a bowl game that they're I guess APR wise, they're right up there too. So uh yeah, I mean you you could definitely, you know, I'm good with that. I mean I I don't run the Gator Bowl, but I'm going hey, hell, let's do a double hitter in the uh, Liberty Bowl. Pays, Memphis can just go home to Memphis and uh, j- just host a game at home, uh, have a Liberty Bowl double hitter.
2: No question. Well, Illinois is not that far. It's an easy drive for them, too. So, Correct. Not about it. And uh, Pays is saying uh, the Jags owners in Illinois grant.
1: He is. Yes, he is. Uh the the Jacksonville Jaguars owner. Um oh yeah, um, uh, God, I know his name is good to know your name. Tony, Tony Khan, um uh who also owns AEW. Uh him him and his dad Shad Khan, uh are are, uh, are indeed uh Illinois grads, correct.
2: And billionaires, right?
1: Correct, yes.
2: they so they got lots of money. Hopefully they can get a, a better coach than the previous one in Jacksonville, <laughs> right, Tyler? Uh, you, I know you. Uh, at least you're not covering the Jaguars, right?
3: No, but I mean, I'm going to get a nice look at them this weekend when they come to MetLife.
2: <laughs> that's, that's true.
1: That's going to yeah, be. The uh, Jets
3: have 20 guys on the COVID list right now, too. So they're dealing with all kinds of issues.
1: Yeah, and so you, you, there you go. You mentioned the Jets, 20 guys on the COVID list, and they're playing football. Yep. So you, you got, and I know college is different, but I, again, I, I don't. I, I just don't understand why we're just canceling bowl games it's just and, and, and hats off by the way hats off to the gator bowl for, for trying to find a republic a republic trying to find a replacement for uh for wake forest to play so so that, you know the game isn't canceled so the, you know now we just got to figure out something for the tigers and uh memphis and our, our conference friends here in the american and uh by the way speaking of the american ucf uh is a leading uh florida big and um Looks like it'll be a nice win for the American over the SEC tonight in uh, Tampa in the Gasparilla Bowl.
2: Well, how is that possible? I didn't think that anybody in the SEC could be beat by an AAC, a group of five team. Well, they'll
3: I just say so. their guys didn't want to be there. So
2: that's, that's right. That's right. There's so much turmoil in the, in the program and they had to fire their coach and every kind of uh, excuse in the world. Um, Anyway, uh, it
0: exactly hasn't it hasn't exactly been you know a injury free season for UCF either. They lost Dylan Gabriel early on, and they've lost multiple nope. other key pieces, uh, including a uh, um, one of their highly talented defensive linemen.
1: Yeah, Gus Malzahn's said a good job. Uh, they were three and three at one point after they lost Gabriel. one five out of their last six to finish eight and four. Now they're going to get win number nine over uh, Florida, and Florida put themselves in that situation. They fired Dan Mullen. Who's a great coach, you know, and if Mullen didn't like recruiting, then, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that. Uh, he certainly seemed to like it just fine when he was at Mississippi State, um, but it is what it is. They got Billy Napier now. Napier's a good coach. So we'll see how long Florida's happy with him before they fire him.
2: I was getting ready to say, Kyle, that the, the, <laughs> they need to have a bumper sticker, Florida, where coaches go to die. I mean, as far as their career. We'll see, but well, I, mean, I
1: think, I think Mullen, Mullen will be fine. He'll end on his feet after he takes a year off. I, I definitely can see uh, him ending up in an ACC school, um, or an or an American Conference school.
2: Thank you, Ron. Uh, James.
1: Yeah, uh, Army. Yes, Army, Army that's right. last night, and uh, uh, so you know, not 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 quote unquote group of five, but not a power five team in the uh in the Black Knights of the Hudson there with a with a last second field goal win over. Missouri, that was an entertaining bowl game last night. So very nice win for Army,
2: no doubt. So there's uh, more SEC schools going down, uh, for sure. Uh, the commissioner uh, will have to will have to see if he's okay, um, since he wants to break away and have a pro league. Um, we'll see if that's. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, question for Richard Allsbrook. Uh He's saying who is BC's rival in the ACC?
3: Oh well. <laughs> kind of tough to say sometimes just because, you know, so many of the robbers they had in the Big East are no longer really robbers.
1: Syracuse?
3: Uh, yeah, Syracuse is one. Uh, hmm. Syracuse is probably the main one, I'd say. At yeah, one
1: year. time you guys and Virginia Tech ha- had yeah. something going Yeah.
3: Yeah, they usually see each other – well, not this season, but typically they see each other pretty early in the season. That's a pretty big matchup for both teams. But Syracuse is definitely the main one. I know there's a dislike – for Florida State, but I feel like you could say that about every other team in the ACC, not liking Florida State. So, yeah, i, I roll with Syracuse as the big one for BC right now.
1: That makes sense, Originally,
2: Tyler, obviously, uh, what are the chances – I know you don't work uh, there w- with the school, but something like this with East Carolina and Boston College playing for the first time, what's the – chance that we could have you guys on the schedule in the future. I know you guys are power five, you're in the ACC, but um, this is a team that I would like to see uh, obviously in the future.
3: It's definitely possible. I mean, more so with Halfway now than ever before. They'll, they'll really play anyone on their non-conference schedule. And they'll, they'll play them anywhere, too. That's a big thing that Halfway has been preaching since he arrived. They went to UMass this year and played on the road when they didn't have to. UMass asked them and they said, yeah, sure, we'll come play. Why not? And there was a whole controversy, with, maybe not really a controversy, but when Missouri's head coach said that they didn't really want to come to BC because it doesn't really benefit them regionally, and we said, hey, we would have went to go play there if you guys wanted us to come down and play there. You know, We'll, we'll do what we have to do. So, yeah, I wouldn't rule anything out. You know, ECU would be a quality opponent to have on this schedule for sure. I think the only thing really complicating that is that whole alliance deal between the ACC and the Pac-12. That would be the main roadblock, I would
2: say. Tyler, that's going to be UNC's excuse from now on is, oh, we can't do it because of the the alliance. There. Exactly.
3: Built-in excuse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they just don't want to lose these East Carolina. They lost the last three, so even under bad teams, uh, like, well, with uh, Montgomery uh, in 2018 was a really bad team, and we still beat UNC, so um, there you go. But uh, anyway, Tyler, I know we've kept you over an hour now, but uh, plug your stuff again. I want people to be able to listen, actually uh, look at your stuff, obviously with all the places. Read it. Read it's what
1: you're looking for, Dave. Yeah, read
3: it. You could, uh, you go to eagleinsider.com, find all my Boston college work. There's plenty of it on there. Site's always filled with content. And you could uh, follow me on Twitter at Tyler underscore Calvaruso. You know, I'm always down to interact with you guys and talk ball. So if you want to reach out, I'll definitely hit you back. I love interacting with fans on Twitter.
2: All right, Tyler, thank you so much.
3: Of course. Guys, thank you appreciate for having you. me on. I really appreciate it.
2: All right, Merry All right, Christmas Happy Holidays to you.
3: Thanks, guys. All
2: right. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Appreciate Tyler very much uh, for coming on here at Christmas Eve Eve. Before we go, guys, I know a few things to talk about. First is uh, this is kind of like our Christmas show. So, Kyle, do you have any uh, – we'll do it uh, briefly here – your memories uh, of Christmas and maybe maybe favorite movie. Uh, favorite Christmas, like with your gifts, that kind of thing?
1: Sure. Uh, Christmas memories are several. Um, obviously, uh, back in '89, the White Christmas, everybody in Eastern North Carolina remembers that. If you grew up down east, you remember the White Christmas of '89. It's really the only one we've ever seen. Uh, so that's always a good memory to think of. Uh, you know, favorite gifts as a kid, uh, you know, Atari games. Uh, I still collect Atari games to this day. Uh, So I remember one Christmas getting, you know, when the dying days of Atari in the late 80s, getting a ton of Atari games for Christmas. I remember getting my Sega Genesis for Christmas in the early 90s, Um, different things like that as an adult uh, proposed to my wife on Christmas Eve. So that's a really good memory. Um, You know, uh, there's a favorite Christmas movie, uh, Christmas Story. Love it. Um, One of my favorite movies of all time of any, any genre. I uh, love A Christmas Story, also a big fan of Christmas Vacation. I uh, love the original Miracle on 34th Street, The black or it's been colorized since then, but Black and White when it came out. I uh, love the 99 version of A Christmas Carol with Patrick Stewart from Star Trek. Um, so many good Christmas movies, Christmas specials, love Rudolph, obviously, Charlie Brown Christmas, Garfield Christmas, very underrated. Twas the Night Before Christmas is one nobody ever talks about it anymore with the mouse, that breaks the clock and says nobody believes in Santa anymore. Uh, those are all ones that I like a lot. Uh, and, you know, Christmas foods. Uh, my wife is cooking tonight. She's baked a couple of pecan pies. She made a chocolate delight with a shortbread pecan crust. Uh, and She's making pralines now. Um, so all, lots of good food. Um, what about you guys? Uh, Bubba, uh, what about you? Uh, same question. All that, all, all of the above, I just, I just gave, and we didn't even give it in Christmas songs. We'll come back to that.
0: I guess I'll, I'll start with the food. Um, sweet potato casserole with the, with the pecan crusted topping. Um, that would definitely be one of the, or I guess, the favorite. Uh, definitely a lot of others as well. Um, as far as, as far as the dessert, uh, let's see. A pecan pie is always good, um, like you mentioned, or uh, chocolate pecan pie. And then also um, my grandma made, she called it a vanilla wafer cake, but it, it kind of had the appearance of a pound cake, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't dry like some pound cakes tend to be. Uh, so that's another one. As far as the dessert, as far as music, I'd say uh, – <clears throat> Always a big fan of Alan Jackson and George Strait's Christmas CDs. Um, we'll still bring those up on YouTube and listen listen to them when I'm in the car, or just doing things here around the house. As far as a movie, Christmas Vacation. And as far as presents, when I was younger, you know, it was probably um, something like you mentioned with video games. Probably you know the most recent uh, version of NTA football or something like that and then you know once once you get older it's it's all about the kids so but um and then you know obviously always getting at least one if not multiple things related to the pirates be it bowl tickets or or a hoodie hats so on and so forth
2: no doubt so for me quickly i would just say for as far as food goes my, um, my grandmother's made such great food. I could like I'm not gonna waste a lot of time but certainly corn pudding is something that I love very much. Uh, my one of my grandmothers made that and my dad's mom uh, made a lot of great things including uh, green bean casserole, uh, things like that that I love uh, dearly. And as far as dessert goes, my, um, one of my aunts um, an aunt and a great aunt, um, would make these coconut cakes that would just like, oh my goodness, were great. Of course, Pecan Pie, I'm a huge fan of that for sure. As far as uh, there's so many songs I love, Fleece Dot is my favorite Christmas song. Um, as far as uh, Gifts go, 1978, Santa Claus, Santa Claus brought me uh, Millennium Falcon, of course, from Star Wars. I love Star Wars, especially the originals are the best. And a Redskins jersey uh, had the helmet. Uh, the uh, jersey and the pants. I mean, I slept in that thing that night, I'm pretty sure, (laughs) for Christmas night. Um, So uh, movie-wise, a lot of the same ones you guys have mentioned. Uh, I even like uh, Elf, Will Ferrell. I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to waste 10 or 20 minutes talking about every favorite Christmas movie. And, of course, I love the Peanuts, Charlie Brown. Um, That special is one of my all-time, all those as well. Uh, Do You guys, uh, in fact, uh, how about this? Pay's has got a great one. Uh, the greatest Christmas song is a temptation "Silent Night." Also, he's doing a prime rib roast on Saturday. So, how about that? Nice.
1: Prime rib roast sounds tremendous. Uh, and Die Hard is a Christmas movie. He says Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Die Hard takes place at Christmas. It, it is not about Christmas. A movie has to be themed around Christmas to be a Christmas movie. Wait a minute. What about Home Alone? It, it, All- All- it merely All- takes place at Christmas home alone takes
2: the place at christmas is that a, a christmas movie
1: a lot I mean, of people christmas, christmas is very themed in that movie C- christmas is a is a the reasoning is home alone it's because of christmas so yes it's definitely a christmas movie whereas Die Hard is not um, the, the, however the prime rib sounds tremendous uh, what, what are you what are you doing with that page what, what, are, you, what are you having with it are, are you well, you know, uh, I I always like a little horseradish with prime rib. Mm, uh, that sounds good. So, just curious to know what you're what you're making with the prime rib roast, in terms of sides, and and are you gonna are you gonna make a nice horseradish sauce to uh, serve along with it?
2: Man, you're making me a now I want a prime rib and horseradish. That, that sounds very very good. I've been. It. Guess, in fact. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I'm putting up a comment real quick. Elliot says he'd rather have a ribeye steak. And uh, do you th- guys have anything? Do you guys have anything before we go?
1: No, no, I'm just hungry. Everybody's uh, talked about food, and uh, no, no, I'm hungry. And uh, just, just uh, hopefully, guys, uh, the ball game gets played. Uh, that's that's the main thing I'm worried about at this point. Yukon Yukon uh, mashed potatoes and green beans. Okay. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. eat. Well, I'm with you, James. I'm with you 100%, brother. Any day of the
2: week. <laughs> um, by the way, before we go, guys, I want to mention that we've got a big concert coming up on January 15th, and uh, we have uh, tickets are on sale right now. Uh, it's actually Slippery When Wet. They were featured on a E show Clash of the Cover Bands. They're coming to my hometown in Kyle's and Williamston at Bob Martin Ag Center. That's going to be Saturday, January 15th. Tickets are on sale. You can just go to InnovativeTicketing.com. And uh, search for "slippery when wet." You can get your tickets down. only twenty five bucks, and the day of the show they'll be thirty. And guys, we're gonna give away. Matt Semenza is gonna give away four front row seats. So we'll help be having a big uh, contest.
1: Yeah, and that okay. was so anybody, we'll anybody to go to YouTube, look up "slippery when wet" cover band Bon Jovi cover band. You can find their their appearances on uh, on on the uh, on the E cover band competition uh, where they were on national TV. Uh, you can find it for concert footage. Uh, this is a big time cover band. This this ain't just uh, your average garage band. These guys uh, do things right. They sound a lot like Bon Jovi. Uh, I- I- if you're a Bon Jovi fan, you- you'll enjoy the show.
2: Oh, that peaches and slippery went wet. A sports objective late night. <laughs> indeed, indeed. There you go. They go hand in
1: hand. They go hand in hand. pace. <laughs>
2: Uh, no doubt. I want to wish everybody Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Obviously, th- I believe this is our last show before Christmas, guys. Right?
1: Well, we ain't doing one tomorrow. We're not doing one on Christmas Day. So yeah, there I- you go. <laughs> it may be the last show before the bowl. Uh, yeah, I-, I don't know if we'll get anything in on the twenty sixth. Um, uh, three of us will be at the uh, in Annapolis as of right now. So uh, uh, I-, I don't know if we can get together and do anything. Um, so we'll. we'll- We'll see. I've reached out to Bubba and asked if he wants to get together. He told me he had other plans. Uh, he didn't want to hang out with me. Matt, when he was telling calls. me, what say what? It's true. It's one hundred percent true. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to hang out with me uh, in Annapolis? Uh, apparently, I'm going to be all along. Well, my wife will be there. So just just you let me know because uh you know I'm doing up, something. Rick. Do what? I said you could, They can hit you up. Hit me up, hit me up, yeah. If you want to buy me a beer, steak, prime rib, whatever, let me know.
2: And uh, Elliot's asking if we can go live Monday uh, when they when we're there at the bowl. So
1: um, um, we'll see what we can do. Um, it, it would really be if we win the thing, it would be really cool to do a post game of some sort. Um, if we lose it. Uh, probably not as school, <laughs> but uh, if we, if we win a post game, a post game podcast, live from Annapolis, we might have to figure out how to do that.
2: Yeah. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. We've had a lot of subscribers, uh, recent and, uh, obviously like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter, by the way, guys, and at the sports OBJ Instagram is at the sports objective. And I want to thank Tyler very much. Thanks to Kyle Bubba. Thanks to everybody listening. Appreciate you guys very much, and we'll have a lot of uh, great coverage of that. And, of course, uh, we'll find out the results Monday. It'll be, I guess, early evening. We'll know who the winner is. And you never know. There's always uh, breaking news. Keep it right here for all the latest. Hopefully it's not more breaking news once again before we go about a few. We don't know how many players have COVID uh, with ECU, but the team traveled today, and it looks like they'll still be playing the game on Monday at 2.30. And that's on ESPN. Is it ESPN? It's ESPN, yep. Yep, regular ESPN. So uh, you can watch on the app. You can listen to uh, Jeff Charles and uh, obviously all those guys as well. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. I want to wish you, Kyle, Bubba, everybody, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. We'll be back in the next few days. Until next time, you've been watching and listening to The Sports Objective, everybody. Good night, and as always, go Pirates. <laughs>